Hang on. Hang on. Halt. Welcome to This Might Be a Podcast, the song-by-song podcast about the greatest band of all time. I am your quarantined host, Greg Simpson, and uh, well, by the time this airs, wouldn't that be awesome if like things were back to normal? I don't think they're going to be, but you never know. And uh, I have with us uh, someone you've heard on a Patreon peeps party, but his making his appearance for his first regular episode, Chris Oliveira from Florida, and we're going to talk about Reprehensible off of originally Long Tall Weekend. Each night I lie Yikes! We are we already talked. I don't know. I'll, I'll go back and listen to that because I've been recording for like eighteen minutes. I'll be like, if there's anything really funny in there, I'll just pop in it. You know, edit whatever. The the thing seems to be more and more that before I even announce the proper intro, I'll just leave like a bunch of junk on the beginning if it's worth listening to. I think people know the podcast well enough by now to know that there's a lot of. Um, tangents and that's that's part of the charm i'd like to think i don't know it's a guy who's like yes. just like not well when did you when did you officially hop on board because it was not too long ago as a as a listener i i joined the podcast end of january uh after the flood shows in new york where i learned about the podcast from john and um Mike Buffington. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, having on uh, notable musicians and notable people, I mean, those guys are notable in the fan community. So even, you know, putting John on, and, and what I've started doing is is having, like, you know, this from the Patreon one, having one of my guests post the episode. I mean, I always tell them to post on social media, but even in Miscellaneous Tea, because I think over there they're like, here's another post from Greg, it's another episode of the podcast, whatever. Or like Facebook algorithms, like just brush it away because I post in there too much or something. You know, who knows how Facebook works exactly? Only Zuckerberg knows. I don't think even he knows anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, no. <laughs> no. It's like, so I, I, I try not to know how it works so I can go before Congress and just like act like a robot that's not aware of anything that's happening on my own, in my own <laughs> company. So yeah, you came in. Um, but yeah, having those notable fans on, it's like they bring in, you know, when John posts something in miscellaneous tea, people look at it. Um, and, or Mike, you know, they're like, oh, this might be like some rare remastered dial song shit or something. You know, that's what they're always doing. Or like some set list. I was wondering what set list was. Oh, Mike posted it. And so, yeah. So, uh, that again, John, he, he, we're, we're People are going to find out how we saved the day later in the episode. But again, always bring it up, John, because, uh, yeah, he brought you into the fold and uh, you're coming in uh, like a year and change late. So I think I totaled it up approximately. There were 80 hours of content in the first year of This Might Be a Podcast. Wow. Uh-huh. So <laughs> 80 hours of content plus you're a Patreon subscriber. That this that first year from Thanksgiving ish to uh, of twenty eighteen to Thanksgiving of twenty nineteen, eighty hours of content plus twelve more hours if you were a Patreon uh, subscriber. Okay. And that wasn't counting the crossover episodes that I sometimes post in the feed too, like when I appeared on the Weird Alphabet, when I appeared on the Bare Naked Ladies one. Those weren't even counted into the total. So that was like another few hours. So like the the sheer amount of of my voice that you've been listening to lately you aren't sick of me yet <laughs> it's a lot but it's okay they're great episodes good yeah so on the patreon party patreon party number two uh you were on there with um let's see john was not on that one john and jacob were on the first john jacob jingleheimer schmidt they were on the first one you were on with um lisa Help me out. I can't remember anything. Lisa. All right. Hold on. I got a look. It was Lisa. Jordan. Mosberger. Jordan and Daniel. Yeah. 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 Tell everyone the full story of your fandom because uh, you told it a little bit on the party, but let's hear the full deal. Lay it all out for us. All right. All right, so starting, like most people, saw Tiny Toons, didn't realize, though, because at that point, I was 11-ish, didn't quite realize that they were a real band until 1992, when that Christmas, I got a Sega CD, and (laughs) what happens to be one of the tracks on it, Mammal, on the little included with cd showing all the different things that this new device can do and i was like wait (laughs) i heard this with that and it all sort of came together 
And at that point, I was buying my own music. So yeah, hold on, hold on. Let me pause you real quick. Hold on, I just want to. I was trying to Google this CD to see what else was on there, unless you already know. But like, with you know, feel like half of my guests, probably not that many, are like, okay, Tiny Tunes was the first time I heard them. You know, it's pretty much anyone who's around my age, which you are, saw them on Tiny Tunes. Um, but you were, you're the very first person and you're like the 110th guest I've had on or something, you know, that has brought up this Sega CD. So how do I, how do I Google this? How do I Let's find see. this? Hold on. Let me Google. You're the, the first person. I would have brought it up on the mammal episode if I knew about it, but nobody has, has told me about this. <laughs> I love that. I find it funny you, that you yeah. did it, man. You're you're yeah, you're special. You brought something new to the the podcast. I thought there weren't, you know, nothing and new under funny, the sun. Um while I'm searching for it, I got to tell Danny this story, Danny Weinkoff. Mm-hmm. Um two years ago at the show in Tampa and he asked me if I was coming the next night to the show and I was like yeah and then the next night they included it in the uh encore section of the show really yeah wow because I so my first time seeing the band live was 1996 in providence rhode island when i was a freshman in college um it was like around christmas time if i remember correctly and um that was a song somehow all these shows i've seen over the years never heard them do live once right well how many so then how many times total have you seen them? i am you know? coming i am on show 27 now okay not bad yeah see that's you know that is see, for see, seeing one band 27 times that's a lot but my my view of that has been skewed because then there's people you know like peter gritch and john and mike buffington and all these all these notable fans who have, who are like creeping up on like a hundred shows and so then someone's like, oh, yeah, I've seen them 27 times. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I've only seen them three times, but living in the Midwest, I mean, I grew up in Chicago. I don't know why I never saw them in high school when I was actually there. I didn't see them till college on the Mink Car Tour. I saw them in Iowa City. Then I saw them on the Else Tour in Bloomington, Indiana. Then I saw them on the I Like Fun Tour in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so for being a fan also since 1992, I've only seen him three times. Like these guys in New York are so spoiled with, they might be giants. They're so spoiled with music in general. Um, and I think even more so than like, Cal- cause obviously California's got a shitload of bands too, but California is a lot bigger. I mean, New York, New York city is huge, but it's condensed. So like, if you want to go see a show, you live in one of the boroughs, you know, you might have to take a pretty decent, you know some public transportation to get there. Um, but it's not like me having to drive to Chicago or whatever to see a show. They're spoiled and I hate every one of them. Uh, okay. So I just found that CD I was telling you about Sega CD. Welcome to the next level. Hot hits, adventurous new music sampler. Why don't you read us? Uh, what else is on here, man? All right. You got drama Rama. <laughs> Saigon Kick, The Escape Club, Yo-Yo, Not Yo-Yo the Wolfgang Ma. Press, <laughs> Bo- 
They might be giants. Chub Rock, Throwing <laughs> Muses, okay, Lush, nice. and Sister Double Happiness. Now, I love Lush and Throwing Muses. I know um, the Escape Club. I know. Other than that, and they might be giants. Obviously, I don't know any of the. Do you know any of these bands? I I remember Drama Rama a little bit. Yeah, the name sounds familiar, but I couldn't name it too. Yeah. Um. I actually think one of the members of their band is now a famous DJ. Really? Yeah, that's that's kind of sounding familiar. A little bit. Yeah, they're from New Jersey. Um, yeah, Chris Carter, who does Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius XM. He was oh. a member of Drama. Wow. So, yeah, oh, and he's cool. out in L.A. now. Yeah. Do you know Lush? Lush is would be my second favorite band that's featured on this Sega CD. <laughs> so here's my fun thing. Before they might be giants, I spent this one-year period where I was listening to Alternative, so Nirvana, all that stuff. But then before that, and still to this day, I listen to a lot of 60s, 70s, 80s, not a lot of the modern stuff. That's Probably, you know, for the best, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. For me in high school, it was, oh, that's the weird kid who likes They Might Be Giants and the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it just shows that kids, uh, I mean, I teach elementary music and kids will try to get me into new stuff and I will usually check it out. I'm not going to be that adult that dismisses music that kids like exactly right because that's just lame right you don't want to be that guy it's like all throughout history it's like elvis comes up the adults hate it think he's the devil the beatles come up the adults hate it you know rap you know hip-hop comes around adults hate it just every new thing nirvana adults hate it every popular and anything that's super popular and like breaking any sort of ground the majority of older people hate it. I'm not going to be that guy. So my students keep me hip a little bit. You know, they got me hip to Billie Eilish long. They, I mean, they told me about Old Town Road before it was popping up on every every fucking thing. You know, <laughs> the, the kids knew about that one before, you know, any of the uh, hipster blogs were like, oh, hey, this maybe we should talk about this has been number one for like two months. Um, but like for the most part, Shit that's on the radio, like terrestrial radio, blows. And even like when you yeah. get into like oldies radio now, the oldie station is playing like nineties stuff. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like no, that is not <laughs> like. Wait, it's not called oldies anymore. It's now greatest hits radio. Oh yeah, you know if they do call it oldies, <laughs> if they do call call it oldies, it's still shifted. Like you'll still hear stations like to me, oldies radio will always be like. The birth of rock and roll is like as old as you yeah, get. Yeah, 50s, 60s. 50s and 60s, right? But now it would be like late 70s and then 80s, you know? Because yeah. they're, they're calling like, they're playing like ACDC and calling it an oldie. I'm like, no, that's, no. Like, you could no. call it classic rock. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird. Like, all of these like genres and subgenres, like, especially like saying oldies, like, what does that mean? Oh, it's old. So technically, sure. Back in Black came out, you know, in 1980. You know, the album is 40 years old, so I think that's technically old. But still, yeah. no, oldies, oldies is the Beatles, and even older than that. 
See, I grew up 10 miles outside of Midtown Manhattan. So I grew up with the DJs around me that were the oh. ones that introduced the world to rock. That's uh, and pretty amazing. All the, that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's the place you want to be, especially back, you know, pre internet. And I mean, when we grew up, it was like, I mean, we grew up without the internet and then we had dial up yeah. and then, you know, now everything's available. But for most of our, you know, our formative years, the internet wasn't telling you what to listen to, you know? No. Um, if you went on the internet looking for music, you had to know exactly where to go because you were tying up the phone line and your mom had to make a call, right? So you had yep. to know you had to go to a specific place. Maybe that band had a website, and then if you wanted to download something, you better hope your mom doesn't doesn't you know like kick you off it because it's going to take you fifteen twenty minutes to download that one song. So yeah, <laughs> these days the kids have it so easy these days. But back then it was the DJs that were the tastemakers. I mean that was, you know. And especially the generations before us, I mean, the further back you go, the more you found out about stuff in person or on media that everybody consumed. Like the Beatles at Sullivan show, that that kind of event for art will never happen again. No, because it's too fragmented nowadays. Yep. A lot um, of content. Yeah. And there's pros to that as well, of course. And people are finding my podcast all over the world. So I'm not going to f- completely diss, you know, the modern era of media because, you know, that's pretty great. Also, when people and like someone in like Italy is listening to my bands and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Like, wow, somebody discovered. Yeah. You know, it's great. <laughs> so this Sega CD, this is just like. It's blown my mind, man. This is so great. Hot hits. Like what? This is such a 90s thing to put out a CD uh-huh. for your video game system. Well, the other side, there was a second disc, too, that was called Rock Paintings. Really? Which was a CD graphic. So you put it in and it had, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Explain laugh. it to the it, youngins. It, what that means so you put the CD in a drive in a sega cd since it was hooked up to the tv and it wouldn't play videos it would play graphic images <laughs> that were sort of like slideshows i guess sure if i remember correctly some sort of like almost animation in a way yeah slideshow yeah that would make sense yeah well i think this was just to like show up I think it must have been just to show up because this is for the Genesis, right? It was like a peripheral yeah. or whatever you call it, right? I was yeah. actually just listening to this, this. I listen to this podcast, tech stuff, when I'm looking to get nerdy about something other than music. But then I just go straight for the music centric ones, like the birth of iTunes or the, you know the the history of the iPod. You know, that's those are the ones I go for. Yeah. And I was just listening to one about. Um, even though I was always a Nintendo guy, I was I was looking for episodes to listen to. I was been listening to ones about the PlayStation and. Um, they were talking about how Super Nintendo almost had a thing with Sony. Like, there almost wasn't a Sony PlayStation. It was almost a Nintendo CD thing yeah, for the was, Super I've Nintendo. Yeah, i pictures of how it added on. Yeah. Uh-huh, right. It was a thing you'd plug into the Super Nintendo to be able to run CDs. That whole thing fell apart. People should listen to that that Tech Stuff episode. Is It really covers it very well. Um, the business side and like the tech side of how things would work. So this was so Sega did a CD thing. You plug into the Genesis, which was a cartridge-based system, but now you could do CDs. So they must have included these two CDs to be like, let's show off the graphics of the Genesis and let's show off just how look you have a CD player now. Maybe you didn't before. Now you have a CD yeah. player. It's like how people now will buy an Xbox instead of like a Blu-ray. 
exactly. then it'll do both, right? So it's that's pretty genius, actually. Now that now that I th- I think about it, so you're the first one, man. Virtual high five for uh, yeah, that's it's pretty unbelievable. In a hundred hundred, it's got to be at least a hundred and ten guests between these, the patrons, all that. No one's ever brought this up before. So then you continued on with your fandom pretty much. Uh, I mean, with all the shows you've been to, I'm guessing there were no lulls in your fandom. You just went straight no, up. No, not always. at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, re- I mean, the cool, the cool thing pre-internet also was sometimes you went to the record shop and you found a new album because you didn't know something was coming out. Like I remember discovering John Henry when that came out and being like, this sounds really different yeah. than <laughs> everything before. Cause I had just discovered the first two albums and then it was like, Oh, all right, here's something else. Right. And yeah, God, yeah. record stores, uh, they still exist, but they are a rare, rare bird now. And that was the best. Just like digging through stuff and buying something without having heard it. My favorite thing was always Monday midnight releases. Mm. Yep. Going they come to the record out on store. Tw- yeah. Right. Back then. So you'd go on Monday night and, ooh, this is what I'm waiting for. Uh-huh. And you got in line for it. Yeah. You know, that's. I was just talking about that with someone. Um, and, of course, I forgot. It's been too long. Um, the... <laughs> Because uh, Mink Car came out on 9-11, which was a Tuesday. And they were doing like, I think they had something canceled. I I mean, I probably should check the wiki after I talked to that person. But um, I guess, you know, if I just searched the date. That that was the night of the Tower Records concert they did on 9-10 for the album release that's in gigantic they did it yes and i knew from gigantic that they did the one on the the night before but i couldn't remember if there was supposed to be something that day too i mean they must have had a release show in new york somewhere that got canceled um i mean you can't you can't not have a show on the day your album's release i mean yeah you know um, I don't know if that would be on the wiki. It seems like something. I can't just message John. <laughs> just message John Niels. Um <laughs> He would know. Like, he wouldn't need to look. He would know. Um, but, yeah, anyway. So, um, yeah, God, kid, kids these days. And I hate, I'm always catching myself saying stuff like that. This makes me sound fucking old. Um, but that was such a great, the release Feeling. party was on the 10th. Okay. Yeah. At Bowery Ballroom, according to the wiki. Okay, so they did they did like a daytime thing at Tower and then uh thing at night at the Bowery No, Pro. Tower was the midnight because that's the Oh, big. right when it came out. Okay. All right. So the yeah, yeah, so flip those. Yeah. So probably they went right from Tower from Bowery to Tower. I mean, yeah, still they definitely had shows canceled. I mean, everybody did. It's kind of like now, you know, every yeah, single they, band I, they picked up about eight days later. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's when everyone was like, Saturday Night Live was like, they took a week off and like, well, let's, you know, we got to, the, the, the country kind of came together and was like, you know, art is something that makes people happy. People want stuff to, you know, take their mind up. It's like this pandemic stuff. Like people are dying, but like art is something that people. Is carrying people through, right? Yeah. Now. Like you don't need it 
to survive in a literal sense, but I needed to survive in like a mental sense. Like I would not like I if like it's like this one time I th- I can't remember what, what episode I would told the story on before, but I went like deep deep woods camping um, in twenty thirteen. Um, with my wife and um, her sister and, and her sister's husband. And it was like, I brought an, iP- an iPod. It was an iPod uh, Nano. Were those the skinny ones? I don't know. And it had fairly good battery life, but it died like two days into, or maybe three days into this like seven day trip. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> like I was just, we're, we're like canoeing and I'm singing nanobots. <laughs> uh the song and like specifically that song and a couple others a couple other obscure ones um by other bands because just like and i didn't have any instruments i didn't have any music to listen to so it was just it was acapella baby um also i wasn't getting enough caffeine either so so i was deprived of they might be giants and they might be giants favorite beverage and it was not good <laughs> so like in 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 hard times people want to laugh people want to listen to things that make them feel other ways than sad and i guess for us they might be giants fans we like feeling sad or we like songs that are sad because every song is sad most of them are sad yeah uh, <laughs> i just recorded the they might be emo patreon episode and uh it was like what are the most emo they might be giants songs because it's all of them. I don't even know. It's like 90, <laughs> like 90% of them. Um, that's, that's a good episode. It's one of the more silly ones, but also talking about just the darkest, darkest parts of the MF Giants lyrics. Let's talk about why you picked Reprehensible. And just your song choice is obvious that you were a fan throughout because Long Tall Weekend is like one of those, it's almost a forgotten album. What are your thoughts on Long Tall Weekend as, as uh, an entity? I think it is a probably one of their more important albums, honestly, because really? it's a transition album. Okay. So you, that's where the internet really started taking its place for them and becoming True. this thing. I mean, it was an internet-only album when it was released in 99. I remember it taking like an hour to download <laughs> on primitive cable internet back then. Uh-huh. Um. And it's a transition album, too, because you're switching drummers in the album. And so it's sort of taking tracks that some of those tracks go back to 95, 96. Right. And some of them won't appear again till 01. Um, I.e., my, and some even as late as 04, like On Earth, My Nina, which is Thunderbird. But that song had been around forever before it wound up on an album. Hey, no spoilers. So, Some people might not have made that connection. I haven't done Thunderbird <laughs> or On Earth, My Nina. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a really... And it's also the point where they're starting to get into commercial work at this point uh-huh. with doing Malcolm in the Middle. So this is really, I like to view Long Tall Weekend as where modern They Might Be Giants really starts picking up. Okay. Yeah. It's also um, a weird uh, personnel chain uh, mashup, um, changing of the guard kind of album. 
because uh, when I was talking to Dan Hickey, um, it's funny, all these older musicians I talk to, I ask them about something from their career and they don't remember, but I know. <laughs> Uh, you know, when the internet is documenting everything and you're not going to be, you're not Dan Hickey, like, oh, let me look on, this might be a wiki to find out about my own life, you know? So he's forgotten. Yeah. He was like, cause I was like, well, you only technically played on one adult studio album, Mink Car. And he's like, that can't be right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if we look at Long Tall Weekend and we start going through the tracks, because he's like, what about Long Tall Weekend? And I'm like, well, I was looking through there, and it's like half Doherty or like songs that don't have drums. Yeah, most of them or are Doherty except for uh, She Thinks She's Edith Head, which is Dan Hickey. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, and he was surprised by that. He's like, you don't say. I'm like, you were in the band. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was. <laughs> it was a funny moment, but because uh, he he said that for a second, and I'm like, oh shit, did I just like insult him? But then I went back through it. I'm like, no, dude, you're not on that much on here. <sighs> no, because you do have to think too. A lot of the songs on Long Tall Weekend are on that Factory Showroom Sessions bootleg. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are tracks that were recorded probably three years earlier yeah. and hadn't made an album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was going, you know, searching my iTunes just to make sure I didn't miss it because my my they might be giants section on the artists of my iTunes is just so massive. Like I yeah. don't I don't have that much actual files on my computer. Um, you know everything's streaming. I have stuff on CD. I have stuff on an external hard drive. Um, I have a thumb drive of stuff in my car that has one of those USB thingies. But like on this computer. You know, computers are getting slimmer. They're taking away hard drive space. They're wanting you to buy cloud storage, blah, blah, blah. But I have, like, every single fucking thing by They Might Be Giants that I can get my hands on, and I need the actual files to put them into episodes. So I search iTunes just to make sure, because if I scrolled, I could miss it. So I search Reprehensible, and I find those Factory Showroom Sessions, which is a super obscure thing. It's a, it, it's a weird listen in that it's... Um, you'll rarely notice any or at least me, and I'm a music producer, you'll rarely notice differences in, like, the mix or whatever. You'll notice that it's it's basically unmastered, or it's not mastered as well, because it's quiet. It's not as beefy. Yeah. Because, like, I went and listened to Reprehensible off of that. Um, didn't make it onto Factory Showroom. Would eventually go on to Long Tall Weekend, and there they mastered it. Um, but basically, I can't tell the difference. And if you go to the... Um, reprehensible on the wiki like the chronology tab um it doesn't it's it's orange which means you can't click on it so yeah basically that that affirms that it's the same version it's just mastered i suppose would be the only difference because if if it were like a, a rough mix or something the cr chronology would have a separate tab for it a separate page i mean um so, so it's funny you say that because yeah. I was trying to figure that out today. Mm -hmm. So I literally put one right next. I kept playing the two <laughs> over and over and over trying to see if I could tell anything. <laughs> yeah, there is no difference. No difference. Yeah. Uh, I see. Uh, I like my guests that, that do their homework. Some come in pretty blind. And it's just like, I like this song. 
All my guests have been great, but it's kind of fun sometimes, actually, to school my own guests on the song that they picked. But um, you came and prepared. You were, you were sending me shit. Um, <laughs> a, a, a sweet live version. But again, not on the chronology because it's not an official, like, it's not severe tire damage. It's not flood live yeah. in Australia. So, yeah, we'll listen to that later, that live that live version. Um, so let's... I mean, do we? Is there anything else about your fandom we want to cover before we've we've been dipping our toes into the long tail weekend here? Um, are we ready yeah. to just jump in? I mean, just a fan forever and never really fell away. Yeah, one of those that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Good on you. Never, never given up. Yeah, let's jump in. So, hey, as a guest who's done his homework, the very first place you start when you want to learn about a They Might Be Giants song, is where? The wiki. The wiki, of course. Would you like to start us off with the trivia? Because yes. that's like, you got to just, you go ahead and read it. I, You've already looked at it. I don't need to tell you. Yeah. Why don't you tell our listeners? What's great is the first bit of trivia comes right from tmbg.com and from John uh, Flansburg probably because he wrote the track right. and that it's a cool song that fell between the cracks. The song features the sound of the Mellotron actually from a sampler that was a primitive version of sampling created in the 60s. The horn section is actually created by playing a chord on an electric keyboard, but instead of a piano or organ sound, you get the sound of the saxophone, or in this case, the sound of a very old-fashioned, melodramatic, vibrato-laden sax with a tone more from the 40s than from the 60s when it was recorded. Yes. So let's talk about that little bit of trivia first. Um, now, I was a little bit confused. Again, we could just ask John Yost, uh about the parentheses there. The song features the sound of a Mellotron, but then it says parentheses actually from a sampler. Now, was that something that they put in in the wiki, like to clarify, or is that something that Flansburg said? Because um, it kind of... Well, and first of all, what is it saying? Is it saying that... So the Mellotron is essentially the first sampler. You didn't call it that back yeah. then. Um, but, or is or the parentheses actually from a sampler, is that saying that they did not have an actual Mellotron, as in the physical instrument, and that it's a sampler? A sample of a Mellotron sound. What do you, what, what do you see, think? I could see that. I mean... Mellotrons, if you think back to the 60s. Um, and I think they, we should explain they, what they are, yeah. Yeah, it's a type of keyboard. Uh, most famous use of it is the opening of Strawberry Feels Forever by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. That flute um, sound. Yeah, which yeah was a uh, recorded flute on the keys. And I wouldn't see them probably having access to a Mellotron. Because of the age of the instrument, they're pretty rare at this point. I'm looking on the Wikipedia uh, for Mellotron, and I I know all about them, and I I, hadn't, I haven't like read any books about them. But here we got uh, the dates uh, that it was manufactured. Because Mellotron is literally, I mean, it's a brand. It's like saying Moog in place of synthesizer. Like that's not correct, because a Moog is actually 
a brand of synthesizer. So the manufacturer was Bradmatic, which is a very cool 60s sounding thing to name a company. Yeah. Bradmatic Melich slash Melitronics. Uh, so from 1963 to 1970, um, they had in 1963 the Mach 1, 64, Mach 2, then 68, the M300, um, and... 70, 1970, was the M400. And then Streetly Electronics um, bought, looks like they bought them uh, the name or, you know, the technology in 1970. Um, and in 2007, so all the way from 1970 to 2007, no more Mellotrons being made. But in 2007, they made the M4000. I don't know anything about the Mellotron. I thought they died completely. Um, in the sixties, so technically there was one in 1970. So yeah. Um, and I'm guessing the, the newer ones are probably just as expensive as the old ones. Again, drawing a line to Moog, Moog, uh, disappearing for a while and coming back. Um, Robert Moog is, is, has, is deceased and he had lost the name, um, or sold the name like a long time before that. Um, but when they came back, the mini Moog, the like starship of the, um, Moog uh, synth family, the new ones are just as expensive as finding a good used one. Um, so the the Giants, and anyway, this came out in 99, so it would have had to have been one of the old ones. Um, yeah, because it would see have that been happening. recorded. This probably was recorded in 95 because it was on uh, yes, the yes, yes. list. And it goes back, it's first, sorry, fast forwarding a little, First played live March of '96, so mm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it would be yeah. if it was an actual Mellotron, it would probably be the version from 1980. Um, well, not 1970 was the was the last one. Nin- um, the T550, the flight cased version of the uh, Novatron 400. So they put out a different version of an M. Okay, so it's the same technology. Like a decade later, they put out the same one. I'm just like right under the the main picture of Mellotron. It has the dates that it was made. And I didn't go down into Hold the on, full here. article. Um, no, no one cares except us at this point. <laughs> no yeah. one that's listening. Um, There's the full article link. Yeah, no, that's that's what I'm looking at. There are at. a few more models in there. Right. When that's you open a- it, there's the seventy-five Mark V. Yeah, yeah. So the the production ceased completely in 1986. So yeah, you're at the um, the popularity decline so much. It's saying that uh, yeah, it mentions uh, XTC actually as a band that yeah. uses the Mellotron and um, they're great. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I don't I don't see it happening. I I think it might be something like well, the song I like fun. Um, have you gotten to that episode yet? My wife's on it. No. Okay. Um, the you might already know this, but the oh, those I always assumed that was like flans or something making that noise. No, not the case. Um, it is a Mellotron sample, um, but they aren't actually using a Mellotron. They found the what was made for an, a sample that was made to be played on a Mellotron. And you can like, anyone can go and download that sound. 
Um, the it's actually a the recording is um, blah 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 blah. Jack Bruce is um, fuck what pain is it? Um, um, one of those big ones. Oh, Cream. Okay, so Jack Bruce yeah. of Cream made a bunch of his own. You know, he was in a huge band right in that era. Had his own Mellotron, started making his own Mellotron samples, um, recorded stuff like cellos, um, glockenspiels, all kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, he actually hits a glockenspiel as a pitch reference and then sings, ah. And so then that could be used in his Mellotron. So, ah, ah, ah. It's just Jack Bruce singing one note and then the Mellotron plays a physical tape inside of it. Okay, so samplers are a digital thing when you think of them these days. But this was an analog sampler where it's playing the tape at different speeds to match the pitch that you were playing on the piano keyboard. That is the most basic way I could explain how a Mellotron works. Um, So that's what I'm thinking. This is the case here, too, that they were able to get digital versions of these things that were in a sampler, uh, that were in a Mellotron, I mean. And that's how they got this <clears throat> thick, um, well, how does Flans describe it there? The the oh, trivia you just read. Yeah, what's that? So I'm reading through this Mellotron on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mellotrons were surfaced in 1995 on the Oasis album, What's the Story, Morning Glory. The instrument was played by both Noel Gallagher and Paul Arthurs on several tracks, but most prominently used was the cello sound on Wonderwall, played by Wonderwall. We've connected. They might be giants to Oasis. To Wonderwall, (laughs) Wonderwall specifically. (laughs) You know, Oasis had, you know, I was... Totally anti-Oasis all through high school because when they broke big with with bullshit like that, um, I was so far into Green Day and Rancid and, and No Effects and all this punk stuff. Then, you know, at like 14 when all like the preppy kids and jock kids went to see them at the fucking Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, now called the Allstate Arena, uh, and come to school the next day, all wearing the Oasis, their Oasis shirts. I'm like, you fucking... You sheeple, sheeple wasn't the thing people said back then. Um, <laughs> but then I discovered that they were on Creation Records, which was the label that Jesus and Mary Chain and uh, My Bloody Valentine and all these, you know, they were actually like a legit Britpop, scrappier kind of yeah. band. And their first album is really good. Um, but that is cool. And I would, I, I, you know, I could die happy if I never saw anybody cover Wonderwall in my life. But... If they strolled into that open mic night with with a dolly that had a Mellotron on it, <laughs> they could play anything they willing. fucking want. They could play anything yeah. they fucking want, including Wonderwall. I'd be yelling for it. I'd be like, Wonderwall. I'd be like, Strawberry Fields, Wonderwall. I'd be like yelling, full on, full on the hill. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, good good tidbit there. So, yeah, um, in Reprehensible... Yeah, Flansburg says the it, it, it makes it sound old fashioned, which it does. I mean, yeah, that and yeah, the the vibrato. He says the vibrato laden sax, um, 
does give it that sound from the 40s like he's saying it sounds more like something that like uh you know a sinatra ballad would have i mean this song kind of sounds like it could be done by sinatra and it's like a pastiche of yeah crooner stuff you know dean martin i mean when you look at the illustration from the long tall weekend liner notes yeah i mean that kind of looks like a mafia guy but the devil yeah (laughs) yeah it kind of looks more like um maybe robert goulet more than or Dean Martin more than oh, um, I was going with Joe Pesci. <laughs> well, I was thinking about actual singers from that era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, um, read us the next bit of trivia from the wiki. Uh, from the summer '99 Info Club newsletter, a swanky ballad with wall-to-wall horns about the most reprehensible fellow one could imagine. <laughs> Features a Linnell clarinet solo. Oh, yeah. And it's tasty. A really, really awesome solo. Yeah, oh my god. You know, there's the clarinet stuff. Um, well, well, first of all, he, he'll he gravitate toward, towards like the berry or bass sax um, before the clarinet. Like if you went through, like I've, I've actually thought about doing a Patreon episode um, about sax stuff. And I might still do that. I mean, I got two sax players in my band. They, they, they'd definitely be on that. But that's a lot of songs. If you did a clarinet episode, um, which t- totally would would still be awesome because there's a lot of stuff there, but not as much. And the chance for him to do like a jazzy solo like this, like they have jazzy songs, but this is like its own. Thing. This is a whole different level of for them. Yeah, this is like like I said though, like that 1940s like. Um, jazz was still the most popular music in the 40s, you know? And even halfway through the 50s, you know, like you had like Miles Davis coming out with Birth of Cool and um, and changing everything there in the late 40s. And then the 50s, I mean, you had kind of blue, all this, all this like, and then the crooners, yeah, you know, that was like considered the pop music at the time. But the whole yeah. base of it was jazz, like, you know, um, and yeah, you plenty Dave of j- Brubeck, plenty- all them. Oh God, yeah, I love that. But but even the stuff like like Dave Brubeck didn't typically feature vocals, but even anything that had vocals, like the most popular songs of the day, were still based in jazz because that had been the most like American music, the most popular music in the country for like 50, 60 years, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, and until rock came the along, Andrew Sisters, Andrew Sisters, uh-huh. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and then even when rock was starting to come around, it was still very blues influenced. There's a lot of rock that still is very most rock still is very blues influenced. It's just you know it's where it came from. There's some rock that kind of tries to buck that and and just be you know like if you ever learn anything about kraut rock or anything where it's like you know we are from Germany we don't have this blues we don't know what that is um, and playing rock yeah, and roll that's not influenced by the blues um, which is hard to do. Um, but this like. Yeah, th- this is a kind of jazz that They Might Be Giants really haven't tapped into much. I mean, you get like stuff like Museum of Idiots, you know, a few years later. Well, I guess when they record it, you know, a decade later almost on the spine. Um, well, that's even a song that goes back. Sure, sure, sure. Museum of right, Idiots. Right. And I, yeah, that, that episode with Jonathan Leonard, it was a very good one. Um, but I bring it up cause we, we legit found a jazz arrangement for it. We played a clip of a high school band playing museum of idiots. And I can only imagine as a music teacher, um, it would have to be like high school or something where like, if I'm imagining elementary school, my parents show up to a program, they look at the paper that has all the songs that the kids are going to be doing. And it says museum of idiots and be like, what is this? What is Mr. Simpson doing? 
What is this song? This can't so, be appropriate. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, I just looked at it. The first time Museum of Idiots showed up was 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right around this time also. Yeah, okay. They're going through a jazz phase, and that's a Linnell one. And then you um, also had Dr. Evil around this time. Which that's, has that's that jazzy. jazzy sound. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's going for that James Bond kind of thing. We've got a world that swings. Yeah. There's, yeah, I just searched jazz <laughs> on the wiki <laughs> to see what came up. Jazz Waltz in C from Almanac. Um, I can't remember what that sounds like off the top of my head. I would have to go check. Um, yeah, Jazz Waltz. Um, well, Jazz Waltz, Almanac, yeah, Jazz Waltz and C, why does that keep coming up in the search? The search is kind of, uh, diluted a little bit. Um, but as far as things like that, that's, uh, Cocktail Jazz, unreleased, 14 known performances, but unreleased. It's only been played live. What is this? Do you know this? Cocktail Jazz? It's just called Cocktail. Well, apparently it's just called Cocktail, but it came up under Cocktail Jazz, 1997. so same time period. Yeah. What's going on here? Were they really, what was, what were these guys into? This uh, doesn't even have the credits on it. Well, let's see. Hold on. Flansburg. Live instrumental music used as background uh, during stage announcements and band introductions from Flansburg. So, um, instrumental, man. I've been looking for more oh, instrumental I'm trying to songs remember to... this. I was at a show this was performed at. Yeah, this seems like there you were going to stuff. 18 Dan, Dan years Hickey. ago. Dan Hickey was in the band. It was the Halloween show in 02 in Cleveland. Okay, so you clicked on the uh, the yeah the shows it's been played at. Yeah, first time played February twenty first, nineteen ninety seven. So for three years they were doing this cocktail. Oh. Maybe not at every show, huh? All well, right, now I gotta find that. I'll be damned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're one of those guests where you know I know picking a deep cut is going to be no problem because with some some people that aren't as well. First of all, people that are casual fans wouldn't pick reprehensible because they wouldn't have heard it. But like it, you know, to fill an episode, I mean, we've been talking for over an hour. I mean, I guess about fifty oh, minutes wow, of that yeah. was just bullshitting. But um, where it's like, oh shit, this doesn't have any known demos. No live versions, no. Well, no, well, this one does have a live version, but like a really rare thing, you'd be like, "There's no covers, there's no live versions, there's no demos. What are we gonna talk about?" Um, but, and obviously, yeah, we're gonna talk about <laughs> Mellotrons and crooners, and uh, you know, of course. So, um, yeah, these guys were they were the the Johns just like on a jazz kick right around this time? Well, yeah, because you could even think if you look back at like Factory Showroom with uh-huh. all the horns and everything, horns, strings, like that crooner yeah, stuff. It was like big band jazz that would have an orchestra too. Yeah, because you have like bells are ringing. Yep, with all these like really layered vocals and everything. Yeah, yeah. What else from Long Tall Weekend could be considered jazzy though? Well, certain people I can name. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Which is another really messed up song. The album opens with Drinkin', mm-hmm. which is a very smooth type of track. Sure, sure. And yeah, a mean, show opener back right. then. Yeah, I mean, jazz, uh, jazz is one of those... Operators are standing by. 
Yeah, and drinking, I mean, another, yeah, another instrumental. Um, jazz is one and of those then, genres, again, it's like saying something, oh, that's a rock song. What does that mean? You know, that's just like yeah. way too broad at this point. There's so many subgenres, and the same goes for jazz. Like I said, it's the most popular music for 50, 60 years. You got Dixieland jazz, big band jazz, you know, bebop, cool jazz, fusion. I mean, like, if you say, like, what songs are jazzy by the MMP Giants? There's quite a few, but what songs are like reprehensible? Not, Not many. No, I you know off top of my dome, can't think of anything that's this kind of smooth crooner style jazz, and that Mellotron really does add to it, gives it that old school feel. Um, even though Mellotrons weren't around in the '40s, the way it's played and the way the sample that's on the Mellotron—I mean, when you say, "Oh, there's a Mellotron on this," that really doesn't tell you anything because it all depends what kind of tape you put in the Mellotron. Yeah. So yeah, it's like saying they played a guitar on this song. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, how did they play it? <laughs> so um, the next bit—can we move on to the next bit of trivia? Where uh, let's see. Oh, the clarinet solo rules. I mean, well, that you know, I guess that's how what sparked this whole thing is that that style of clarinet solo could not fit into really many more than like a handful of songs that I could think of because while Hotel Detective is swung that is jazzy like kind of like a rockabilly kind of jazzy um it's got saxophones in it it could not have this kind of clarinet solo it could have clarinet but like this kind of like you know that's just like that hollywood style castle yeah almost free form yeah i mean it's i would love to know if it was an improvised take, like what made it like, what made the record? Did he chart it out or know exactly what he's going to play? And even an improvised solo, like you'll know in your head, like, or you're thinking a little bit ahead, like I'm going to play this, you know, that's just kind of how it works. You might have little licks that, you know, you're going to throw in, but like, did he improvise a, a bunch of the solos and then pick the best one? Or did he write it out? That's the kind of stuff that the band nerd in me would want to know, but it's a great solo. Um, and you know what? Let's dump that live version you found and you sent to me in here because the clarinet sits even more up front uh, yes, just because does. of this uh, this live arrangement. Tell us about this when you sent it to me uh, late last night, I think. 
No, early this morning. Early this like morning. 9 a.m. All good. What, uh, uh, what's the deal with this live one? All right. So this is a show. I don't even know where I've gotten this show. I've had it for a while. It's 10-23-1999. It's probably from Buffington. Um, <laughs> he probably uploaded it to the, to the miscellaneous tea group at some point. Um. Check the metadata. And it is a show full of, well, at the time, it's a long, tall weekend show yep. because it opens with drinking. It's all songs that either just came out mostly or will come out many years later. Yeah. Because, um, let's see. That's a pretty cool show to see when there's so many songs. Yeah, that it's are- so loud in here. Is yeah. on this Thunderbird, Doctor Evil. Yeah, got and hearing, then of course, man, hearing "Man, It's So Loud in Here" in two years before it was going to come out, and then having it be such a different version when it came out, like that might have changed my whole perspective on that song. And I did that episode a long time ago. We talked all about the rock version, but this yes. one is this one is even different. I mean, we're not here to talk about that song, but like this was a precursor to. Because they've done rock versions before Minkar, and they've done rock versions after Minkar, and they're pretty different. And then the album version is completely different. Um, and they've done it live as a dance version, too, like on Conan. But that kind of, I love that song. Also did one of my favorite covers that I've done was the one with Colin Clive of Mustard Plug. We collaborated on a cover of that when we did that episode. Go check this, my Um But yeah, Reprehensible... Uh, what do you think of this this live version? I will have dropped it in this episode. I think at some it's point. amazing. Yeah, um, it's sandwiched in the set list between "It's So Loud in Here" and "Working Undercover for the Man." Good spot. So, me. yeah, it goes from this rock song to okay. Now we're going to take a left turn and go into this total jazz <laughs> moment. Yeah, and that banter uh, at the beginning. And his ba- yeah, and the and the, the banter at the beginning is a little weird because he talks about the neighbor who has Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah, and you're sort of like, okay, where but are you going with this? Goes, yeah, yeah, and then he just goes into it, and it is as good as the studio version. And Linnell's clarinet solo is just on fire. Yeah. So the um. And since it's not listed as an official, you know, it's not an official release, so it's not on the chronology um, tab. I'm sure those wiki guys know all about it, but it's not an officially released one, so it doesn't get on the wiki. Um, and it's, but really it's high way, quality. It 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 is um, for <clears throat> being of that era. It's surprisingly high quality because back then, I mean, '99, it's like. How would you bootleg a show? And were they encouraging bootlegs already at that point? Because now they kind of do. But this is like, it's not long after severe tire damage. Like, I'd imagine if you are putting out a record, a physical release, a live record, you're not going to want people bootlegging, making bootleg live records. But at this point, they're kind of like, if they do a live record like Flood Live in Australia, they give it away for free. First record live, they give it away for free if you give an email address to this magazine, whatever. Um so they're down with bootlegs now, but back in 1999, I wouldn't think they were. So who recorded this? 
who what sneak I, it was mike buffington i know it was <laughs> mike was it you did you record this i mean he would have been like yeah i mean he would have been old enough to be going to a rock show sneaking in but then what do you sneak in what do you what is gonna have audio this good i mean it could yeah. be from a really good video camera um really good as in 1999 really good um so I know some of those have decent condenser mics, but that, that could say that all could... this stuff. But last what? year, a couple of these tracks uh-huh. showed up um, as IFC downloads. Okay. These exact this show? Yeah, certain tracks from this show, certain people I could name, and Cyclops Rock, mm-hmm. Operators Are Standing By, and Rack Patrol, and Radio They Might Be Giants five of those oh yeah i guess what i was saying is that we don't have a credits tab to check to see who's playing what now there's no keyboards in it are there because i mean miller will step up to the keys now and then but i don't think he was there is a credits wait for the live one no not on live yeah that's what i'm talking about give us it would probably give us an idea Right, but Linnell can't play clarinet and keyboard at the same time is what I'm saying. So um, on the recorded one, Miller was not yet in the band, but in 1999 he was, which is what I'm saying on that live one. There aren't any keys, are there? Okay, there are on like the Immortal Soul part, and then, yeah, whenever there is clarinet, it seems to be just bass and drums. I'm not even hearing... So, oh yeah, because Miller does, because he mentions at the end of the song, the only person that can play these guitar chords is Dan Miller. Dan Miller, So, Dan Miller is playing guitar, there are no keyboards. So, the guitar presence is a little low in the mix here, um, probably because of whoever was taping this, wherever they were standing, could play a difference if they were close to the stage, but not on Miller's side. Um, Because Flansburg basically says, like, yeah, I can't play this on guitar, so there's only one guitar, and it's Miller. Um, Linnell's playing keyboards when he's not playing the clarinet. Um, so obviously there's no, and it doesn't, you know, they don't even really try to make it sound like a Mellotron. You know, the keyboards that are there are these little kind of chiming sounds. Um, not the thick, you know, the, the stuff that sacks samples on the Mellotron, he covers on the clarinet, you know, as much as he can, uh, on that live version. Um, but the keyboard is really just to kind of carry along the, um, just kind of blend in with a guitar, like, like, like jazz keyboardists and jazz guitarists, unless they're doing a solo, it's not like a rock band. They're not like in your face. Cause there's all these horns and stuff going on, like the cording instruments, the piano and the, you know, the, and the rhythm section and the guitarist, um, they're not there to steal the show, like in a rock band, um, so the keyboards that Linnell does play kind of just blend right in with the, what of, you can hear of Miller's guitar. But yeah, that live version is amazing. And when you sent me that message this morning, you're like, do you have the show? And I'm like, I don't think so. And, I, and so you sent it to me and I'm like, yeah, so I'm guessing you want to play this. And I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, we definitely want to play this. This is fucking yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's great. And I hadn't heard that before. So, so thank you again. Having a guest on that is uh, hooking me up with goodies, you know, Again, it's another reason to have different people on every show because I, you know, I get more goodies. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody comes on, they're like, "Guess what I got?" 
I got this weird version of this song we're about to talk about. And they usually spring it on me like during the show or right before. And they're like, the reason I picked this is I played on the song. No, I don't <laughs> I'm on the track. Oh, my God. Uh, next bit of tidbit. You know, reinforce. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess we already on, said this bit. Yeah. The factory showroom sessions. What's interesting is on that, where it sits on it. So yeah, let's see. Not sure why the listing is the way it is, but they have it put right between uh, exquisite dead guy and older. Yeah. So going this... from the sound of exquisite dead guy into reprehensible. That's a really nice transition. <laughs> that is. Which which again it's like, <laughs> oh, it really would have fit well on factory showroom. And this was when older was called your older. Your older. Yeah. This yeah, the thing about this, you know, I bet there's a lot of people listening that haven't heard the f- complete factory showroom sessions. Look it up on the wiki and you'll see like the the J card which is what they call the thing you slide in a cassette, right? Um, the J card there scanned in Electra Entertainment, 75 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York. Uh, and the the spine part just says they might be giants. Like this was something for, I mean, I remember when this leaked, I heard, um, well, I don't, I don't remember when it leaked. I was a fan, but I, you know, the internet <laughs> again. Um, but when it, leaked i can't remember exactly when this again john Gillis. i mean fuck the I, he listens to all the episodes and and i just imagined him listening with it like on in the background and it's like ears perk up as his name continues to come up um scan it like getting a hold of this and like leaking this he didn't leak it that's not what i'm saying he was telling me how people kind of flipped out a little bit because they're like, it's not something the band wanted people to hear. Now, I mean, I don't think they care. Maybe they care at the time it leaked. I don't know. Um, but they seem to relish the fact that they have obscure releases. So, you know, this just adds to the pile. And I think, you know, people downloading it, and you can find it, I think, on the Miscellaneous T Facebook group in the downloads section. Um, I mean, that's where I got it. Other than like like I can't find many differences with the mix. Like I already said, it's it seems to be unmastered or just not as you know beef beefed up. But people mainly like to listen to it. I think to hear this weird mash. Like it sounds like a compilation at this point because this isn't how it got released. I mean, you got sense around. I did that episode not too long ago. That song fucking rules. That song rules. Mm-hmm. And then it gets just like tossed off to the Mighty Morphin Power sound- Ranger soundtrack, and it's a B side of Factory Showroom. Like, come on, this song is so good. Token back to Brooklyn again gets hidden, you know, at the track zero, um, which a lot of people didn't find for years, you know, that you could re- yeah. rewind. Uh, on the drag, amazing, certain people, counterfeit faker stuff, you know, ending up then. So then Long Tall Weekend becomes the compilation sounding album to grab a lot of this stuff. It's just a weird thing, this Factory Showroom session. And that's, yeah, back to what I was saying with Long Tall Weekend. It's like, here's the end of the past and here's the preview of the future. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Because then a lot of Long Tall Weekend shows up again on Big Car. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it 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 is definitely yeah, that it's like if you made a Venn diagram, you know, 
of yeah. uh, factory showroom and Ming Car, you'd have Long Tall Week and all those tracks that <laughs> you know are shared between members, members of the band. Yeah, you could do multiple Venn diagrams with stuff like you know Brian Doherty's tracks and Hickey's tracks and what's overlapping and what you know what maybe they both played on. Doherty played on something on an album and then Hickey was played it on a live version. There's just it's it is really yeah yeah you're you're exactly right. Um, it's an interesting album. It's one that I did not get right away because at the time I was like, internet album, that's not a real thing. That's not, you know, whatever. They'll come out with a real album later. And like, I didn't get it for like a decade. I don't know. Like when you're as old as we are, like, you're like, oh, that happened yesterday. But then you're like, oh, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, But it probably was, I mean, if it came out in 99... I probably didn't even bother like really even looking into it to like 2005. And I'm like, Oh, I guess they're not oh, putting wow. this out. I'm like, I guess they're not putting this out on CD. It's like, I think I was holding out for CD. I think is what I was doing. Cause it was the CD era still. And I love physical media being very like proud of them being like, Hey guys, look, you can't buy this anywhere, but from this website. Yeah. And people were like, what? I'm like, yeah, you have to go here to get it. You can't get this elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember hearing about it. I'm like, I'll wait for the CD. I think that's what happened. And then life happened. I graduated college. I started a career like all this. And it just kind of like, I was still a fan of the MF giants and mink car was like, that was my shit. Um, but yeah. And I was like, and then one day it just dawned on me, well, I guess that's not coming out on CD. <laughs> I guess I should probably just find that and listen to it. So there were songs like Drinking that I went like five years after they came out before I ever heard it. Like, it's crazy and reprehensible. Yeah. Um, it came out in 95. I probably didn't hear it to 2005 because I didn't see it in any shows. I didn't get Long Tail Weekend. Um, yeah, it's weird. So there were any. It's also a really short album. That's yeah. the other thing. It's only 33 minutes. And that might have been intentional by them knowing that downloading it would take so long. <laughs> or, on the flip side of that, that they didn't see it as like, maybe they were like, well, and it, there is kind of proof that it, stuff has appeared and then, you know, they did it again on Mint Car because they're like, well, again, people like me. It's my favorite band. I didn't get Long Tail Weekend. They're like, uh, maybe our favorite ones we should put out on something else. And then they got they got lost. And actually... Yes, which quite literally says it. I probably heard Reprehensible... Yeah, it's track 12. ...on They Got Lost first, which came out in 2002. Okay, so it wasn't as long as I thought. Two. I heard it in 2002. So it only went... So, okay. So yeah, it wasn't a decade. It wasn't even You're five only years. Four so. years on it. Yeah, so that's when I first heard it. That's right. when I first had on the heard on the drag. I mean, yeah, rest a while because I didn't have all those EPs. I mean, again, like all that stuff that came out when I was in college. You know, I mean, not like I was paying for college entirely. I had loans. My parents helped me out a little bit, but I didn't have a whole lot of money to throw around. I didn't. I bought all the albums and. Long tall weekend. I was like, oh, I'll wait till CD, and then just, you know, and then I got they got lost because um, I was on a CD. <laughs> I love my CDs. I still do, still do. Okay, so we still got one bit of trivia left. What's that last one? Yeah, the good old Malcolm in the middle. Like I was saying earlier, here's where they start getting in with commercial work. So this appears 
not in one, not in two, but three different Malcolm in the Middle episodes. Yeah, that's nuts. So for a deep, deep cut, yeah, it's had lots of presence over the years yeah. in different things. Only they might it's, be giants would do something like this. I mean, because most- even when you look what it's been on under releases, Long Tall Weekend, the UK Australian Bossamy single. <laughs> the music from Malcolm in the Middle promo. They got lost. And then the real fun one that not a lot of people probably remember, but the clock radio. I do. I do because and I've made this point before, but they might be giants invented Pandora and they should have copy they should have patented that technology to have streaming radio um catered to your taste which in this case is i want to listen to a lot of they might be giants and you go to that site and it would just randomly play a bunch of stuff and a lot of rare stuff i mean it was really ingenious and for the time i mean 2003 and the height of adobe flash websites (laughs) i remember being in college going to websites and they just would not load because there was just way too much flash on them but this was the perfect amount of flash and then it was just that little thing and it would play the songs. I don't know if you rem- knew that there was something special about the clock radio. What's that? Because it was flash bass. All those tracks as they played downloaded to a temp file on your Windows, and they were Ooh. MP3. Really? So you, if you were good enough and you learned this, you were able to grab before it disappeared out of your temp file the MP3s, <laughs> which were 128 kilobyte. <sighs> Which was decent for the time. Yeah. At the time, like, hey, it sounds good. (laughs) The symbols don't sound completely like they're underwater. So there were some, like, tracks that if you hadn't found somewhere, oh, it's on there. I could grab it if I get it on the clock radio before it disappears. I wasn't that tech savvy. And that's probably, again, why I didn't get Long Tall Weekend, because I'm like, eh, it's on the internet. It's not... You know, no, I'll admit I've always been a tech nerd, and back then, yeah, ninety nine, I think that's when I had like a Pentium two four fifty with one hundred twenty eight megs of RAM. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. How much hard drive space? <laughs> Honestly, I won't forget because it was ridiculous at that time. Sixteen gigabytes. Wow. Yeah, and I had a CD burner Damn. just so I could burn music. Damn, you were a tech nerd. I mean, for the people listening at home, he's wearing glasses, so obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the clock radio is fucking genius. It is totally, I mean, while it focused on one artist, but it would play Monopuff and state song stuff, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So. Yeah, so. That was the t- nice thing, because every once in a while you were like, oh, I forgot about that track. Right. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, when Pandora came along, I didn't put that together right away. But when I started doing this podcast, I'm like, it's like Pandora, but just for They Might Be Giants. It'd be like going to Pandora and just clicking like or thumbs up or whatever. I haven't used Pandora in years to get it to play more They Might Be Giants. Um, but this was better because it would play only They Might Be Giants and, and related bands. Um, really ingenious. And it had, lo- it had lots of demos on it that weren't easily found. Unless you had e- the e-music unlimited, yeah, 
And and also, I forgot that it had basically three different stations or bands: the AM, FM, and EBS. AM yeah. was studio tracks you can't find anywhere else, plus some stuff that you can find in places if you investigate. The FM band featuring live and other special tracks, and the EBS band featuring special news releases and other special tracks. This is amazing. I wish they still had this because, I mean, maybe it seems a little redundant because of, you know, you can find everything on YouTube. But just like that, or you could hit shuffle on your iTunes or Spotify or whatever else. But, like, there's something special about about this. And I would love to, I mean, I know in the Wayback Machine you can go and look at stuff. But you couldn't get it to play the clock radio anymore. I think we're to the point where we could talk about the lyrics because we have covered the arrangement quite a bit in covering the yeah. trivia. Um, you ready to talk about lyrics or was there something we were hanging on? We were just, no. we were just bullshitting about the clock radio before that dropped. I think yeah, we pretty much covered exactly. that. The lyrics of reprehensible. What do you think? Yeah, they might be giants, right? Messed up songs. This takes the cake though. Takes the cake. Oh, cause according to this, <laughs> they might be emo <laughs> Patreon special, which will have come out, uh, before this, I've determined that uh, Hopeless Bleak Despair is the most fucked up Happy <laughs> Giant song. Yeah, see, that song, that goes one direction. This is about it. True. I mean, if you really look at what the lyrics are, this is about a guy who's hearing voices while he's trying to sleep. Right. He's trembling. A voice is speaking, and I tremble. For yeah, it's not my own. it's not his own. Yeah. <laughs> and he can't ignore it. And... Yeah, and it's the secret. But it fascinates him. Yeah, because it's the secret history of his immortal soul. <laughs> so is this like playing into the fact that he had past lives Oof. and all these people? And here's the crazy thought. Are the past lives the people you could name in the next track? <laughs> um. Well, what's the connection with the recording history on those two? Um they both show up on factory showroom sessions. Right. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, one's Flans and one's Linnell, but it's that, I mean, the Hotel Detectives you know, went between the two. The way I like to think of those two songs is one came in with one and the other one was like, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> Hold my beer. Hold my beer, as, uh, yeah. you know, modern internet memes would say. Um, this car can hold so many reprehensible people. <laughs> I hope Dan Leary, uh, who runs They Might Be Memes, uh, is uh, currently making that into a meme. Um, both of those. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> my favorite line, my favorite line, hands down, 10,000 years of unerasable yeah. acts. And just like the the Flansburg crooner voice, like the crooner voice is something that Flans could do, but Linnell could not do as well, I don't think. I'm trying to think of one that Linnell does that could be considered a crooner voice, but Flans is putting on a voice, which they did a lot in their early history, not as much creeping up to this era doing voices. No. They still do, but not as much as they did in the you know first four albums. But this one, the crooner voice. I don't know. Has Linnell ever done a crooner voice? Not that I can think. His voice tends to go to the higher register right. than the lower. Right. He can do some low stuff. I mean, when you get to, like, you know, unrelated thing. But his his go-to is not going low. It's going high. Yeah. 
Um, the Flans loves his falsetto. That's how he does the high stuff. You know, it, it, it still um, confuses me how people could get the two mistaken for each other when they're listening. You know, the, un, you know, the, the, the commoners, no, the, <laughs> the normal <coughs> fans that aren't super dorks like us get them mixed up. But they each do have their own wheelhouse. And the, the crooner yeah. thing is definitely a Flansburg uh, thing. And also, he likes... Especially today, like not playing guitar, like the live, he'll just not play. He'll even like put his guitar down, and just like hold the and mic. He'll just grab, yeah, and yeah. start swaying around with it, and you're like, okay, right. So he's embracing that crooner thing, and this, this, I mean, is maybe leading the pack with that kind of style, where he's like, oh, we got Miller. We've had Miller for, you know, when they recorded this, Miller was not in the band. Um, but by the time of that live version, Miller was in the band. So Flansburg's like, fuck it. I don't have to play guitar anymore on this song. I'm just going to be the crooner, you know, you know, back when and lead yeah, singers, they didn't, yeah, back when lead singers, you know, they could not play, they could be the star, not have to play an instrument. They just, you know, the pop stars, even today, you just sing, baby. That's your thing, man. You're singing. And it's great. And just that line, the you know, <laughs> unerasable hacks and the way like the like Mellotron is underneath. Perfect. This yeah, it's so great. And then you realize, I mean, in the end, it is him who this person that he keeps hearing, because it ends with indefensible, reprehensible me. Yeah. It's a great twist. You're like, oh, you know, it brings me back to um, Hopeless Bleak Despair. The twist there, the guy uh, the guy going to hell, the way that he gets rid of his Hopeless Bleak Despair is not that he's, like, taking some good antidepressants now. He's seeing a therapist. He's finally figured it out. No, he's died probably by suicide, yeah. and that's how he got rid of it. It's like fucking dying. Like, oh, my God. Um, and this one, yeah, the twist, his, uh, he, this dude is messed up. He's blaming things on other voices. Maybe he's committed a crime, unerasable acts. Maybe he's been killing people for 10,000 years. He's like the longest running serial killer. And the record um, of my unspeakable crimes in previous lives in previous uh-huh. times. Uh-huh. But he's blaming it, blaming it on this voice in his head, right? He's, he's claiming yeah. insanity, you know, at the trial, but then... <laughs> he gets away with yet another murder <laughs> or he goes to just the psych and ward and he's like just kidding pretty, <laughs> and it had to be pretty big stuff because it yeah. stains the pages of history <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah that's why i like to tie it in to certain people i could name because if you look at that one then i mean not to really go deep on it but <laughs> go deep when you go into certain people i could name i mean that's the guy the person who the genocidal overlord in the palace. <laughs> and I mean, don't forget that song opens up with the few surviving samurai survey the battlefield, count the arms, the legs and heads, and then divide by five. Okay. You, you tied me in. You, 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 you hooked me in now. So this guy's Genghis yeah. Khan. This guy's like Attila the Hun. He's Genghis Khan. He killed Jesus. He he did all those things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's the you Zodiac want, like, killer. The worst people in history. They keep getting reincarnated as each other. Yeah. So this dude's this dude's Hitler. He's. Um, I mean, never mind. I mean, the picture in the liner notes is the devil. 
for yep. this song. In a suit. He's the devil that, that convinces you that he's not the devil, right? He's yeah. uh the the usual suspects was based on him as well, you know. It's all the same guy. <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Oh man. Good good times. Good times here. Good times talking about dark shit. Um Yeah. God. Yeah, these the lyrics are not reprehensible. They're delightful to me. No, but the best thing about this song, because of the melody, you find uh-huh. yourself occasionally whistling this song. <laughs> and you're just like, thank God nobody knows the lyrics to what I'm whistling right now. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was talking to on on Twitter. You know, I made that call out, and you retweeted. I'm like, covers, please help. And we're about to play one because there are no covers uh, until today. Today. And dude, I've I've called out for covers maybe only like five times, and I, three times people have come through for me like with less than 24 hours notice. And I I love that about the community. We love doing covers. We love uh, helping each other out with whether it's you sending me uh, a live set from 21 years ago uh, or John Eulis coming forward with a cover. We're going to play that in a second. Uh, How many times have we said his name on this episode? A lot of times. Hi, John. Um, But like me and uh, uh, Rachel Jones, who's been on um, four? episode three three episodes uh including the birdhouse in your soul live in chicago she um i was i was i brought her up i'm like because she's a clarinetist she's a bass clarinetist and i'm like oh come on and then she's like i don't know i'm so rusty in my instruments you know she's doing her phd in musicology but um and she's still playing but with this whole lockdown and everything i mean she probably hasn't been playing her clarinet as much uh, as she would have been, and she's like, I don't know, I'm too rusty, I got a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, just belt out an acapella cover. She's like, no one wants to hear that. And I'm like, I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe since this episode is coming out in, in we got a little while, if uh, I can convince Rachel to do some sort of like clarinet, or, or even, because she's done a MIDI arrangement of, um, oh, Mrs. Bluebeard. She did a MIDI arrangement of it for okay. for like a woodwind ensemble. So it wasn't her playing every part, but she had notated yeah. four parts. And even that, even that, maybe I can convince her that. Even if she won't play her clarinet, and I know she doesn't have like a, a studio. I know last time I tried to get her to record something, she's like, I don't have good microphones. Um, but even doing like a MIDI, like an instrumental version, like the Museum of Idiots, like a jazz Woodwind quintet, jazzy instrumental version of Reprehensible. I'm gonna make this happen. I'll I'll, I'll help her out. We'll collaborate, and uh, if we make it happen before this airs, I will send it to you, and and you could we could jump on a call for five minutes. Yeah, for you to tell definitely. Because uh, I now, think an instrumental would be interesting. Of this, yeah, right? We'll do a jazz arrangement, and me and uh, her will do co arranger credit and pitch it to J W Pepper to do sheet music for high school <laughs> reprehensible so then parents can go to the program and be like museum of idiots followed by reprehensible what is going on here what is wrong with this music teacher oh What's you wrong gotta with start that with drinking okay well we'll do that too <laughs> that was already instrumental yeah um <laughs> anything else about the lyrics before we hear that one one cover there's just so many so many good lines. I mean, we've covered the, the basics of it, and right. I don't think we need to just recite the lyrics, but they're amazing. Yeah, it's just a great song, and it's a song if you don't know, you need to know, because this song should be one of those songs that 
is played more often. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't 12 been performances. since 99. 12 performances, and you saw one of them, man. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah, just the thing about, I, I, think, I think we've pinned it down, and I'm not even clicking on the interpretations tab, because I think we cracked the case that this guy is every, like when you call someone history's greatest monster, he's all of history's greatest monsters. <laughs> and it's sung in that happy way. It's that they might be giants. It's the wheelhouse. They're going out of their wheelhouse by doing a crooner, 40s-style jazz song, Hollywood jazz, New York big-budget jazz. Um, indestructible. Thank you. Indefensible. Tip your waitresses. and But it's just like about an Vegas. Act. That's what this show, this song is. It is yeah. your pure Vegas lounge song. Yeah, right, right, right. Right, yeah, but but one of like, yeah, maybe not the lounge, but like you know the big stage, right? Playing the big, the you know, the headliner, yeah, the one that's there, you know, the expensive act, because you got to have that whole fucking band. You got to have the big band, man. You know, though, not that this wouldn't sound good with just someone playing it really well on piano, which wouldn't be me. I mean, the chords in this are insane, um, very jazzy. It's like all seventh chords and minor sevenths. It's like it's like. There's very few chords that aren't a seventh or aren't like for guitarists on a weird fret. No one likes, no guitarist likes an E flat diminished. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Um, piano would be a little easier, but still not for me. So, Rachel, hey, um, well, if it happens, I will have talked to you before you're hearing this. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Uh, let's hear John's cover. And I did not. Even because this was right before ten minutes seven, before we hopped on. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I, at a fifty-two, the thing that popped up on my phone, a fifty-two. You recording yet? I said setting up. Why? I group messaged you, so then I, I click our. Oh yeah, okay. So, um, a <laughs> fifty. Yeah, a fifty-three. <laughs> the first thing he puts in the message with you and me is a emoji sticking ass tongue. I just got a uke and learned the first 90 seconds of reprehensible for you guys. <laughs> Rep.mp3. I'm downloading it now. This is this the very okay, we're getting my first impression cuz I was I was setting up. I have not heard this. You listen to it, right? I was amazed by it. I'm like, okay. wow, this really works All as right. a ukulele. Okay, don't say anything. I'm listening. And I tremble for it's not my home, my home. I can't ignore it, although I try. The intrusive whisper fascinates me. Here's why, here's why. The shadows gather. Yeah. 
terrible crimes in previous lives in previous times indelibly stains the pages of his <laughs> you know i thought for a second that he put applause at the end of his own track because it went immediately into working undercover for the man because that's what was cute of his next to my eyes it went right because he cuts abruptly and then i hear the clapping coming out of reprehensible into working undercover for the man on the live album you sent me which i think i'm gonna have to put that in as i put in the episode it will end with applause because john Ulis coming to the rescue again um that dude solid dude and god damn those chords yeah what what did he say in the message it was a struggle all caps yes uh, yeah Those piano pe- chords you know and for a song sung by flansburg it sounds like it was written by linnell honestly the music yeah, it is not at all your normal flansburg type song at all no but yeah, you know what? Maybe it's one of those that because um, this is not something that is is usually easily confirmed. And the wiki, I mean, I think there's a reason that on the wiki it says you know in the credits it doesn't say written by. Well, for one, they're banned and they collaborate. But the two of them, you know, write separately for the most part and then come together. Yeah. Of course, of course, they're giving each other input on everything. But um, this one, it feels like. You know, and who knows if we could ever confirm this, um, that the music was written by Linnell. And he's like, hey, Flans, you know, you're the crooner, man. Do it. That's what it feels like. Who knows who wrote the lyrics? I, you know, but it feels like one that was the, written, at least musically written by Linnell. Not necessarily lyrically. For me, even the lyrics are more. You think? storytelling than what Flansburg would normally do. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Will we ever get to the bottom of this? No, because they'll never tell you the truth about the song. To like corner Linnell with a knife and be like, you wrote it, didn't you? Didn't you? Tell me. Tell me or your new uh, MIDI controller gets it. (laughs) Me. Yes, I love the last line of the song. Me. <laughs> Indefensible, reprehensible. Me. It's me, baby. It's the M. Night Shyamalan of uh, They Might Be Giants songs. Uh, man, you got to score this song, baby. <laughs> That's easy. Uh-huh. This is a, I want to give a solid nine, too. Great. Yeah. I thought for a second there you were going to go 10 when you're like, usually when people preface it with it with like, oh, easy or like, no doubt in my mind, it's a two. No, they always say 10. Uh, okay. Oh, boy. This is one, again, one that came to me a few years after it was actually released. First heard it on They Got Lost because it did get lost for me the whole long tail week and the whole thing got lost for me for <laughs> a couple of years. Uh, I'm like, ah, then whatever. I'll get it later. Um, and then I did, but this song is amazing. And the way it kind of fits in its own space in the They Might Be Giants can and like us trying to compare it to other songs, like we found other jazzy songs, but um, nothing quite like this. Like Flans has been a crooner. They've done jazz, but have they done crooner jazz? I don't know. 
I can't think of anything. So definitely our conversation on this one and just digging into this one is definitely up the score for me. This, as far as deep cuts go, and anything on Long Tall Weekend that wasn't on another album, I'd say is a deep cut, honestly. Um, they should release this on vinyl or something. They should. They should, really should. Just so people. I was the- really hoping last year, since we got state songs, we were going to get Long Tall Weekend on vinyl. That would have been amazing. I want to get Minkar on vinyl next year. That's got to happen. And Matt Flood of Asbestos Records, who has pressed, pressed yeah, he vinyl does for everything. them, he's on the um, he's on the uh, um, Am I Awake? Maybe we can get a ten inch record of that. <laughs> I will. I will. Me and him will will conspire to because we actually talk about why Minkar was never on vinyl. We uh, we will conspire to get it for the if 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 any time it would happen it would be for the twentieth anniversary. So and that's not in all that long. So we'll. Uh, I'm going to do my best to make that happen. I'm going to power play me and Matt Flood. <laughs> make it happen, guys. Uh, what am I scoring the song? Jesus Christ! What's it? If the shows in September go on, I'm supposed to go to that whole week of shows in New York. Uh huh. For the 19th anniversary this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that's funny. Like wow. when I saw that they announced those Minkar ones, I'm like, wait, you guys are a year early. So now we're going to have the Minkar shows a year before their 20th anniversary, and the, yeah, it's and most awkward. of the flood shows a year after their 30th anniversary we're gonna have 31st anniversary flood shows that's what i'm gonna be going to Mine i mean got you gotta admit doing the 20th anniversary of ming car is awkward sure because of but, everything around it right but at this point like doing the one year anniversary no doing the five year anniversary probably still no but 20 20 years after not that people are forgetting about 9-11 but i think we're not like holding it against the album you know um and yeah, people always remember the day, but a full tour, like you could still take the actual day off if you wanted as, uh, you know, in honor of, you know, those fallen on that day. Um, but you could still do a whole tour, just not play the actual release day, play every other day. Um, yeah. That's what I would do. Um, anyway, reprehensible. I'm going to give it. Uh, uh, let's see. What did I give? <laughs> I got to look at my past scores, man. I got. Can it go Remember, higher? Remember, there it, is no other track quite like this. Right, but can it go higher than It's Not My Birthday? Mm, can it just go to higher than Which Describes How You're Feeling? I don't think so. We got to go. We got to go uh, 7.8. Okay. Yeah. Dude, I got to leave that headroom. You know, you've been, you're still early yeah, on in I the know. pod. You're still early on the pod. And back then, I feel like I threw more high scores around. I was still even... And people are giving me shit for giving Anna Ng a 9.9. But, like, even that early on, I'm like, the 10s, they got to mean something. They got to mean something. And Anna Ng, for me, is pretty much a perfect song. You know, it's just like a a, a hair shy of a perfect song. To me, it's Dr. Worm. To me, you know, what else have you listened to? I don't want to spoil the 10s for you. (laughs) A lot of the 10s come later. Okay. I'm stingy with the tens. Yeah. I'm stingy with the nines. Seven point eight for reprehensible. Yes. Um Do you have anything to plug, fine sir? No. I'm just <laughs> yeah. I am just a super fan, that is all. 
Dude, yeah, you are for sure. You're 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 putting yourself in that upper echelon of of uh, knowledgeable fans because you came you came correct, son. Uh, <laughs> Sega CD, baby. <laughs> Do you still have the CD? No, I wish I did. Oh man, I that could be worse on the Giants somewhere. Fans. I have lost that somewhere over the years. Oh yeah, of course. Who would save that? But that's why. It's rareness would be why some they might be Giants fan or fan of any of those other bands, even though it's an album track. It's an Electra album track. People would buy that. So some, yeah. some mega fan would buy that from you, or you being a mega fan would never sell it. You'd frame it or something. Just I have such a, a feeling weird. I will be hitting up eBay eventually to see if <laughs> I can find one. Yeah, you better do it before this episode comes out because then they might be Giants fans will rush to eBay and take it from you. Yeah, to find it. You better go get that. Okay. You want people to find you on social media or anything then, at least? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter on at O-L-I-V-E-I-R-A-C-H. Makes and sense. And Facebook is under <laughs> my name. All right. Yeah, man. Now you guys know uh, another person to go to when you're looking for that obscure shit. It's Chris here, And baby. I am always bouncing around miscellaneous tea. Yeah. And we're all on the internet even more than we were before. Thanks yes. to you. This virus. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Let, let's pack it in. It's late. Uh, I'm tired. I'm going to have some Cocoa Pebbles and watch some true crime TV and then fall asleep on the couch and eventually drag my ass upstairs. <laughs> my wife's already been asleep for an hour, at least. So, yeah. These are my days now. Quarantine, baby. Quarantine. I actually shaved today. Whew, feeling smooth. It's like yeah, same here. First time in a week. Yeah, it's it's when I have to film a video for school <laughs> for my students. Okay, uh, you can find this might be a podcast everywhere. Instagram, uh, it's put underscores between everything. This might be a podcast. You'll find it. Um, trying to do more stuff there. Doing some Instagram lives. Also doing some YouTube lives. We got the YouTube channel. We could use some more subscribers on there. Gonna try to do more stuff with that. And trying to keep it better on thismightbeapodcast.com. I got the URL. I might as well use it. I always forget. There's just too many goddamn things to update this this podcast. I swear I need a secretary and I need a manager to schedule all of these and tell me when my episodes are and run the social media because it is this this hobby has become ridiculous though it is more consistently profitable than any band i've ever been in not that i'm making that much but i've never had a band that has made 150 dollars every month even if you um you know took the total income and, and and divided it by 12 so thanks everyone for listening and thanks to chris and my other patreon subscribers you guys rule i'm trying to give you a lot of quarantine content Hopefully I'm keeping you happy there. And, Chris, we got two new stickers coming. You'll have received them in the mail by the time this airs. One designed by uh, Abby, of course. Our take on the Squiggle logo, if you know what I'm talking about. The Squiggly, they might be giants. Squiggly, this might be a podcast. And then, which you will be seeing posting very soon, the They'll Need a Crane live EP, the musical portion that I'm just finally have gotten mixed due to some technical difficulties. Our other sticker will be a take on that art for that digital EP, which is done by Lauren Walton, the uh, 
the sprightly young art teacher at my schools who's just finishing her first year of teaching with virtual teaching. I'm like, wow. Christ, your very first year teaching. We have four, 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 four first year teachers at my schools. I barely made it through my first year of teaching, and it was a regular school year. It's what a what a way to kick off your career. All right, Chris, thank you so much. That was um, thank you. Oh, the voicemail number two two four eight zero one two nine three zero. I always forget that one. People send me voicemails. Chris, you should send me voicemails. You know shit. You should get on the. Uh, even though you know, even though you're catching up on the episodes, I would gladly take a voicemail if you fact correct something from. An episode that's in like you know that's like episode twenty two or something, and you're like, wait, okay. or like I know about this other version or something that we missed. I'll play it. T two four eight zero one two nine three zero and leave a voicemail, people. This might be a pod at Gmail works as well. Uh, yeah. All right. Signing off. I'm getting loopy. Uh, good night. Good night, Chris. Good night, everybody. Good night. Indestructible, indefensible, reprehensible, 10,000 years of unerasable. Indefensible, reprehensible, me.